Well, I actually have a little bit of a confession to make this morning. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Aaron spoke on inspiration, and inspiration is something that comes from outside of us, and you never know where it's going to come from, and what I'm going to speak about today is truly an example of that. There's something that happened. My confession is this. There's something that happens in January, February, March, late winter, early spring that pops up on my radar and I get involved in. I start to pay attention to maybe a little bit too much because it's really something that's not particularly important, but it sort of grabs my attention and um, I get stuck there. And that is the Academy Awards. And it's really not about the movies so much as it's about the clothes. The clothes and the shoes and the jewelry. And I get involved in the um, run-up to it, the the two-hour red carpet show beforehand, the four-hour show, and then the wrap-up where after you see the the clothes walking down the aisle, you see them in the, the thing, and then you talk about them afterwards. And that pops up on my radar, and if I'm not going to be home that night, I set the DVR so that it's going to record, so I can, you know, watch it later. And it's totally unimportant, but I really do get involved in it. I kind of like to watch all of that. And I understand that 85% of the audience for the Academy Awards are women, which means that half of you guys are thinking, this is really a silly activity And why would anybody waste that much time in something that doesn't matter? And I discovered there is a guy version of this. You have an event where people kind of dress up a little bit and gather together in a room to see which of the contenders are going to be chosen. And there's a lot of hype that goes on about that. And you get involved in it for days. And the choice of a defensive end from South Carolina can just cause some people to throw a party and go nuts. So y'all don't get all judgy on me about my Academy Award example when you've got this going on as well. So what happened this year in the run-up to the Academy Awards and um, kind of being aware of all the other award shows that go on around it because there are lots of organizations that nominate people for the same roles and generally it's the same actors and actresses nominated, not always, but generally. But this year I noticed that the, the actress who was nominated for Best Supporting Actress in a Movie was the same in all of the awards and she won most of them. And she was nominated for an Oscar too. Her name is Lupita Nyong'o. And she kind of bubbled up on my radar because, one, she's stunningly beautiful and presented herself elegantly at all of these events. And when she won, her speeches were articulate and and just well-spoken. And so I just kind of was curious about her. And I heard after the Academy Awards, she got another award from another organization. And at this particular luncheon, she had longer than the 90 seconds that they normally give on the TV shows. She had longer than that to actually speak to the audience. And so I I found that on YouTube and was looking at it. And I was actually doing some other things as I was listening to her speak. But then she said a sentence that captured my attention. I stopped what I was doing and scrolled the little bar back so I could hear it again and then wrote it down and then went in Penny's office to tell her she just said this and this is 
this means something. I, I, I just have to think about this for a while. And kept the sentence tucked in my drawer, and I'd pull it out every once in a while. And this means something. I mean, just, just what, what does this, where does this apply? And in her little five-minute speech, she was sharing her story. And she talked about, as a young teenager and, and growing into her early adulthood, and wanting to be an actress and studying for that, but feeling like her appearance wasn't what was conventionally pretty and that she just she couldn't get anywhere with what she wanted to do. And she said this sentence. She said, I had begun to enjoy the seduction of inadequacy. The seduction of inadequacy. What inadequacy? Okay, that means to be lacking in something, to not have enough of something, to not be capable of achieving a goal or completing a task or, or whatever it is, but to be, to be inadequate. The seduction of inadequacy. What? And I, I thought about it and realized that that really describes a thought pattern. It described her story the way she told it to herself. And we all do that. We all tell ourselves things. We all tell ourselves our story. And sometimes we tell our thing, ourselves things that are not true. And it may, be, it may be something in your story that somebody else told you from the point you were a little guy. But it became part of what you tell yourself. I'm inadequate. How does that show up in our lives? I, I don't have it in me to do... I don't have it in me to be patient with my kids. I don't have it in me to be faithful in my marriage. I don't have it in me to control my desires or my appetites. I, I, I just don't have it in me. And I think the seduction of that is that if you think long enough that you're inadequate, that you don't have it in you, then you begin to think you're not responsible. If I don't have it in me to be faithful in my marriage, then my choices are beyond my control. I'm not responsible for my relationships. I'm not responsible for my kids. I'm not responsible for what God has planted in my heart to do but I believe this story that I'm telling myself, that I'm not capable, that I'm inadequate. And we all have stories, and we all tell ourselves these stories. We construct our understanding of the world through our stories. So what does that mean for a believer? I mean, we would like to think that Knowing theological facts would change the way we live our lives. And that's seldom the case. That just knowing something about God will change the way you live your life. Our stories change when we change the way we think. And until that fundamental transformation happens, your story is really not going to change. The amazing thing is God is telling a story. 
a vast story. And we're part of that. And he's made it pretty clear that he wants our participation in the story. It doesn't seem like he's going to clean up our own personal scandals or straighten out the world without our involvement in that. Although he could, because he is God. But clearly, he has chosen to involve us, his creation, in this. His story is one of creation and rebellion and redemption and recreation. It's an invitation to be part of this, to be a part, to find your place in that rebellion and redemption and recreation. It's about remembering our past in a way that we look toward our future. It's a story of joy and healing and mercy and forgiveness and crucifixion and resurrection. But resurrection is not just for a believer, our kind of our get into heaven free card. He's at work now restoring his creation, transforming his creation. And he invites us to be a part of that. How do we do that if we're telling ourselves a story of inadequacy? A story of incompetence? How do we do that? How do we become involved? Peter wrote a letter to believers in Rome. And he addressed this. And it really is how we live our lives today. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind, changing the way you think, is transformative. Changing the way you think is transformative. And what is amazing to me is that you can do that. You literally can change the way you think. Your brain is a pretty amazing thing. You guys stick with me through the science lesson, okay? God created this and put it in your head. It's made up of a hundred billion neurons or brain cells. And they have specific functions and purposes, but they generally all operate in the same way. And that they communicate with each other through biochemical messages. One brain cell communicates to the next through the synapse, the connection point, and it's actually not a literal point of touching. It's a really narrow little gap called, called a synaptic cleft. One brain cell sends a biochemical message to the next, and it starts to make a pathway through your brain. That message clears a path through your brain. And you've probably heard from research about the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. In fact, sometimes we will call ourselves or call each other, identify as left-brained. The left side of the brain is where logical functions tend to reside and language and order. 
And the right side of the brain, the right hemisphere, is more emotional and creative. That's the part of the brain that from birth is really active. From birth through about 18 months, the right side of your brain is just snapping off messages and, and creating pathways. And about two, the left side starts to kick in a little more. And what happens at around two? Why? 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 Because our brains want to create order. They want to understand things. And so the left brain and the right brain start to cooperate. And when we talk about being left-brained or right-brained, we understand now that there's a lot more communication between those two than maybe we thought initially. That, that thin connective tissue between them really allows for messages to, to move back and forth. For example, language is located in the, the left side of the brain. But to understand tone and context and emotional content of a message happens in the right side of the brain. So they're working together. And then you have from the top to the back, the prefrontal cortex and cerebellum and the brain stem. All of these things are in your head right now working. There are things going on that you're not even thinking about. Your brain stem is monitoring messages and generating impulses, and not one of you has thought to tell your lungs to expand to take oxygen in or for your heart to beat. All of that's going on. And those, those things that happen in our brain below our level of consciousness affect us all the time, and we're not even aware of them. Emotional reactions, memory, things that aren't hardwired to become immediately obvious to us are happening at that lower level in our brain all the time. There are things that are going on. Um, you may have a gut instinct about something or an intuition about something. That's that lower level of your brain that's observing and sending messages and monitoring and things ha can happen so quickly at that level. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're pushing your grocery cart in Kroger, and you've gone through the produce aisle, and you're, you're fixing to go into the first aisle. And as you turn that corner, you see at the end of the aisle a former boss who fired you unfairly. Your heart starts to beat. Your blood pressure may raise. You're breathing faster. And without even thinking, you turn and go down the next aisle. All of those reactions happened before you even really realized who you were seeing. But there was a physical and behavioral response to all those messages that was happening in your brain. And there are systems in there that um, include the sensory and the motor system and emotion management. And we, we talk about our emotions in our heart. Your emotions are all in your brain. We talk about managing those and... There are systems in there for stress and fear that regulate our social interactions. The sympathetic system is like an accelerator that speeds up your heart and your blood pressure. It's like fight or flight. That happens with your sympathetic nervous system. Parasympathetic puts the brake on, calms you down, slows your breathing, relaxes your muscles. All of this is going on in your brain all the time. And with every experience you have, beginning at birth, with every experience you have, neurons fire and connect and make connections through your brain. Every experience you have creates some sort of pathway 
in your brain. And when you repeat an activity or you repeat an experience, you fire the same set of neural networks every time. Neurons that repeatedly fire in a, in a particular situation, the odds are they'll continue to fire that way every time they're activated. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're in the jungle with a machete and you have to clear a path. So you take your machete and you start whacking away and you clear a path through the jungle. Well, the next explorer who comes along is going to follow your path. And the one after that is going to follow your path. And the one after that is going to follow your path. So what's happening in your brain with every experience that's repeated. You just strengthen that neural pathway. Life almost becomes a living memory because so much of what we do today is a repetition of what we've done in the past. And the more you fire those networks, the easier it is to recall those things. That's why if on Saturday night you always make your special spaghetti sauce, you don't have to pull the recipe out. You know how to make your special spaghetti sauce. You know what the ingredients are. You know how to do it. However, that dish that you make every other Christmas, you may have to go to the cookbook for because you haven't strengthened that neural network in your brain. If it's not easy to recall that that piece of information. And we remember things differently depending on what they are and what part of the brain are involved. So I have some, I have some questions for you. You don't have to answer out loud. Just think of the answer. What is three times four? Do you remember when you learned to ride a bike? Where was that? What was, what was that like? Who was with you? Where did you remember to learn to ride a bike? Do you get the sense that Jesus vividly remembers the last time you spoke in anger or hurtfully to somebody you love. All three of those questions were memory questions that activated neural pathways in your brain, but they felt different, didn't they? Your, your response to them was different. The amazing thing about your brain is that your heavenly father says that you can learn to think differently. You can create new pathways in your brain. The story of inadequacy, whatever your story is that you've told yourself, whether it's true or not, your story can change because you literally can learn to think differently. Your mind can be renewed. You can think in different ways. How does that happen then? How does that happen for a believer? Because a lot of us have, have been telling ourselves the same stories for a lot of years. It happens initially with an encounter with Jesus. With the one who created you, who died for you. A God who got his hands dirty in creation and then bloodied on the cross. Learning to think differently. Learning to forge new pathways in your brain happens when you have an encounter with Jesus. You know, the... 
the sciences and, and people who work with, with other psychologists say that a change in thinking will only happen with an interaction with an outside person. And as believers, we know that gospel proclaims Jesus is that other person, that other interaction that brings new life and redemption. And so changing the way you think changes when you find your place in that story of creation and rebellion and redemption. When the redemption part of that grabs you. That's where a change in thinking starts. It also deepens when you engage in Scripture. As we get to know God by engaging in Scripture. And guys, I'm going to be real frank with you. I am not talking about the five-minute devotional that lets you check it off your to-do list for the day. I am talking about immersing yourself in the stories that God is telling Engaging with those. Reading about those people. Reading their stories. Reading about how God interacted with them. Reading about Hagar, who was just a pawn in somebody else's manipulation. And it got so bad that she took her child and ran away. Pretty confident that she was going to die in the desert. But that was better than living in what she was living with. And scripture tells us the Lord found her and said, where are you coming from and where are you going? Just like he found Adam and Eve at the very beginning and said, who told you that? Who told you that? The way he found Elijah in the cave. Elijah, who had confronted the the priests of Baal, who had prayed down fire who had experienced mighty power and then was threatened by Jezebel and it scared him witless and he ends up in a cave. And God finds him and says, what are you doing here? Although I do wonder what the inflection was on that. Was it, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? We see God asking questions. We hear him asking questions. And those are the same questions we need to think about, that we need to answer. And when we engage with Scripture, when we immerse ourselves in those stories, when we read about and hear about God's faithfulness, that changes the way we think about our past and the way we can envision our future. I'd like to go to Psalms 139. In, in thinking about how to change the way you think, the Psalms are just wonderful for that. And I think it's the intimacy of them and also the fact that they're written in first person. For me, that, that's important because when I'm reading these, when I'm saying them out loud, saying the I makes it personal to me. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. 
Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how difficult your thoughts are for me to comprehend. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. Immersing yourself in that will change the way you think. Immersing yourself in the thoughts of, a, of the God who loves you, who finds you, who is with you, who created you, will change the way you think. Spending time in the Psalms, spending time in the Gospels. What did Jesus say to people? How did he respond to people? I asked you a question, a memory question, a, a while back. Do you think Jesus remembers how you were angrily spoke? What does Jesus think about you? In Scripture, you learn that. And you don't just hear it. It gets into you and changes the way you think. Have you heard family stories that you've heard over and over and over and over and over. And even though you weren't in the story or you weren't there when it happened, it feels like you were because you've heard the story so much. You can kind of identify yourself as being in there. When you immerse yourself in Scripture, it's almost like those memories become your memories. The faithfulness of God that is experienced by all of these people becomes something in your brain, in a neural pathway in your brain, that you can remember. And it will change the way you think. Changing the way you think happens in community as well. It deepens in community. I gave you examples of some of those questions that God asks in Scripture. Who told you that? Who told you you were inadequate? Who told you you were stupid? Who told you you couldn't do that? Who told you? What are you doing here? Sometimes we need to remember, where did we come from and where are we going? Sometimes you need to tell your story and get somebody else's perspective on it. And in community, in a, in a safe group of people who are in the, the same process you're in, you can do that. And it reinforces the changes in the way you think. We can start to visualize a different future for ourselves. And here at CIL, community is hugely important. And we offer that to you in a, a number of ways. There's a morning ladies' Bible study and an evening ladies' Bible study. 
and a men's Sunday morning Bible study, those are places where people are learning to think differently because they're in Scripture, they're talking about it, they're literally having experiences that are forging new pathways in their brain. In 242 groups on alternate Sunday nights, you know you get together, you eat, you laugh. These are people that you grow in friendship with, and you study Scripture. And maybe you have a relationship that somebody can say, what are you doing here in this, this place in your life? What are, what are you doing here? And they help you visualize a new future for yourself. On July 9th, Wednesday night, we're going to start a new marriage enrichment class. It's a new way to learn to think about your marriage, your relationship with your spouse. It's four weeks, and it's a small group to help us learn to think differently. I heard a story about a, a college student who said to a professor, I love what I'm learning here, but it's so different from what I already know that when I leave your classroom, my brain just kind of defaults back to what I already knew. Learning to change the way you think is not easy and requires effort and requires time. But it is possible. And part of what we do in this marriage enrichment class is, is to do a little exercise and practice responding in a different way. So that when you go out the door and there's a time of stress, your brain doesn't default to that original path through the jungle that you know. That you've created some new pathways. A community that was really important in the life of my family was a grief support group. My dad passed away a couple of years ago, and my mom, who was an incredibly strong woman of God and of faith, had spent the previous 10 years as a full-time caregiver for him. He had advanced severe Parkinson's. And that grief support group helped her visualize a new life helped her learn to think differently about what the options were, helped her remember the past a little differently. But that community, that group, helped forge new neural pathways in her brain to visualize what life would be. A renewed mind happens in the power of the Holy Spirit. That power that rolled the, the stone away from the tomb. You know, I often wonder, in the context of Jesus and his disciples, and, you know, they had been with him and went through that horror of the weekend of crucifixion, and then... The resurrection and the joy, the exuberant joy of that. And then he's with them for a period of time and then says, I have to go. I have to go. And it's better for you that I go. Because the Father is sending his spirit. We say the name of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And we talk about that a lot at Christmas at and Jesus being with us. But God is still with us. His Holy Spirit is with us and indwells us. 
and will teach us, will help us to understand that scripture that we're immersed in. Let's see what Paul said to the church in Corinthians. Now, God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man that is in him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And a little later in this passage, he says, we have the mind of Christ. That's an amazing thought, that we have the mind of Christ. That the Holy Spirit will reveal to us things of God, will help us understand things of God, knows the deepest parts of God, and will help us to understand those. And will help us learn to think differently, to literally forge new pathways in our brain, to respond differently, to see a different future for ourselves. And I am confident that he longs for us to pay attention to his spirit. To God with us. David said, uh, one more thing I want to share with you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, the things I think, the meditation of my heart, the way I think, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The story of inadequacy is not your story. Whatever story you've told yourself, whatever paths in your brain were created through experiences of life, is not your destiny. Would you stand with me? We're going to open.